This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Wondrium, who are offering our listeners a free month trial of unlimited access if you go to wondrium.com slash probably. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Probably Science. Hello, and welcome to Probably Science. I'm uh, Jesse Case. I'm I'm one of the hosts now again. Yeah. Hey, Jesse. So that's okay. I'll do it. Fine. I'll do it. Uh, I'm I'm joined as uh, as always by by Andy Wood. Hello. And uh, and Matt Kirschen. Hey. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Andy. Who's just finished dinner? So he's in a better mood. I have. A, yeah. I've had my weekly dinner. Yeah. <laughs> he did it. Um, and we also have a guest today, per usual. And and guys, we're so pumped. It's going to be Charles Starr. Hey, Charles. Hi, how are you all? Hey. Yeah, doing, doing well? Right. I, th- I think I've known Charles longer than just about anybody on this podcast because we met uh, through a now, maybe not defunct, but less useful uh, internet comedy message board called a special thing probably back in 2005 is that right charles long time yeah something like that so that sounds about right i think you were on there before i was but definitely uh you know by 2007 at the latest certainly pre-bridgetown yeah it got me started thinking about uh the different eras of internet we've lived through and how much (laughs) different the aughts internet was as far as whether it added or detracted from your life like the internet of 2005 was like a purely a positive thing in my life versus now when it's it's all of our undoing (laughs) i mean i i spend 23 hours a day there so it can't be all bad i guess (laughs) but as far as like message boards and things that predate facebook it was a really fun place for you know pretty dorky comedy yeah a special thing was great yeah. Well, that was also. Am I right in thinking a special thing is basically why Bridgetown ended up happening? Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, Charles was at the first year of the festival. Second. Um, second. Oh, second. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was an idea, and then I posted on there to get advice from people on on what what, what one would do if one had never produced a festival but wanted to. So <laughs> that's how it all started. Yeah. It is mind-boggling to me that you got good advice out of it. Though I guess back, <laughs> though I guess back then, a lot of the people who would lurk and hang out were actually sort of good comics because they appreciated like fans who treated them respectfully. <laughs> yeah, with a few exceptions, because there was this trend of of reviewing la comedy shows and by reviewing i mean like almost verbatim typing out people's jokes and <laughs> some people i think as he's on sorry was on the board and was like hey guys you know we're working out stuff i like that you're reviewing shows and you like them but maybe don't like post the exact wording of all of our jokes on here. <laughs> that that's always a thing the the edinburgh fringe every year that's because there's so many different people and and different publications reviewing the shows and it's got ridiculous there's been like real reviewer inflation but that's always been a thing like every year there's a couple of angry articles written by comics just saying like please don't just type out our show <laughs> <laughs> like we I, I appreciate you reviewing it uh and you helping get people to the show but we'd rather if your review does send people to the show they haven't already read the entire thing yeah right. i mean it's making me think of uh lenny bruce's obscenity trial because, you know, like they had a cop there to watch him who just like transcribed it and then, you know, had to testify to what he said. And after, you know, like because after every night in court, Lenny would go out and perform. He's like, you don't know what it's like to see a cop do your act bad. <laughs> <laughs> which is an interesting segue to your day job, which is in in the law. Yeah. Yeah. I am. A, I am a lawyer of sorts. I mean, I'd like kind of dropped out of the real rat race part of it, like uh, with no real safety net <laughs> back back in forever ago because I just decided I hated it 
and would rather like do my first open mic and <laughs> become a comedian uh and you know very quickly found out that i had like a pets.com burn rate on the money that i thought i'd saved <laughs> and, and went right back to like being an attorney for much less money oh uh, no <laughs> but, in a more fun version we, of the law or not no much oh. less like not not more fun not more uh interesting not nearly as well paid but i had my nights at least oh, right. like the yeah. schedule was better and so it was enough like I can't like the, in a world where people really have money issues I didn't have money issues but I like did give up a lot more just to like retain my sanity yeah but what do you think about it. Yeah, what do you think yes. about people who think that you have to be a starving artist to become a great artist that you shouldn't have any kind of cushion I think I think that's a very modern up your own asshole kind of way of thinking <laughs> about it. I like if you look back, most of the artists had, you know, artists, authors, whatever, they had day jobs. Like being being so sort of like I think I think it's a sort of weird affectation. Or right? or just like several Austrian princes were paying them. Right. Yeah. All I the mean, time, if you're, you know. Right. If you're successful <laughs> enough to have like a patron, that's a much better life. Yeah. But for the people who haven't made it yet, you know, like if you're if you're a touring comic, you probably don't have a day job. If you're doing six nights a week in basements, you probably should. But, I mean, the yeah. nature of patrons has definitely changed over the years because we technically have them through Patreon, and uh, <laughs> right, little and, and, I, and I and I love every patron who helps support the show financially and gets you know some bonus footage as well in, in exchange. But it's not, it's not quite the Medici's. Sure, right, right. We don't have like I mean, one absurdly rich family that's like make a podcast of me. Right. You also don't have to give like a thousand hand jobs. Because you're like, come on, it's two bucks a month, man. Yeah. No, we do you're that not... through... We do all the handjobs through love. You're right. <laughs> it's through the love of the game. I'm giving one right now. Yeah. I, uh, it's weird how, like, the, the two schools of thought on that, of, like, on, on one hand, like, you must be a starving artist. Um, and people should take it further. We're like, you have to always... You can never make it, ever. You have to be a failure your whole... Like, you haven't even made it until a uh, hundred years after you die people right. should notice you were good at it right you know? there's a there is like it's a gossamer line between struggling and selling out <laughs> there is but there is no period where you are appropriately artisting no <laughs> absolutely but now selling out it is i mean i remember when that was frowned upon and it seems now comedy is like the last bastion of don't sell out because like uh -huh. you can you can like collab with mcdonald's now and people are just like super into it Right. <laughs> I just mean it's really recent and really un it's really jarring to me growing up like uh used to grunge bands where you would just everyone would burn your record if you did something, you know? Right. Yeah, versus yeah. I just watched a show on Hulu last night. Um I guess it's sort of like a short film, like a twenty four minute thing, because it starred Walton Goggins and he's hilarious and it's called something like The Legend of John Bronco and they had created this fictional character who was the Ford Bronco pitch band back in the day. And then Tim Baltz from Righteous Gemstones is this podcaster trying to track him down. And 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh, wait, this was paid for by Ford to uh, <laughs> advertise the reissue of the Ford Bronco, which oh, came wow. back last year. And it was still a good 24 minutes. But at, the halfway, at that point, I'm just suddenly like wondering if everyone involved in this is like only doing it for the paycheck or if they're also like, well, we can make a funny thing. It's got Tim Meadows. It's got Michael Chiklis. Like. It's yeah. worth your yeah. it's worth your time, but it is an ad for the Ford Bronco. I right? remember I remember when I the horrible realization when I figured out Citizen Kane was to sell sleds. And <laughs> it was it was awful to me. You know, I was just go down there to Sears and get one and it was I just felt so used, you know? I felt gross. But we're and talking I have about like it, 14 aren't we? sleds now. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That's the thing. You get you get a sled and it's instantly redundant. It's out of, you know, you, they, they built it in. Planned like, obsolescence of sleds. Yeah, within, within like a year or so, suddenly your sled's going slower than all the other sleds. Well, yeah, and it was a nightmare of a, of a film to pitch because at first they were going to do it to sell deathbeds. 
And <laughs> then they realized that deathbed market, like people aren't really that into them and they switched to sleds and it just it, the script you only, sense. You no only sense. ever use one deathbed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I guess that, that is true. The Hemingway uh, short story uh, for sale one one deathbed used once <laughs> one deathbed <laughs> barely used. Isn't it weird that like every hotel bed is a deathbed? You know, oh, I mean, I don't know about every. Eventually, you mean like given enough time, yeah. like yeah. I just mean, well, the hotels I stay in, it's a, it's like <laughs> I'd say an average five or six people have died in this bed, at least, right? I don't know. I don't know the death hotel. I, I don't know the hotel death rate. Yeah. That's an interesting thing because I don't have any superstition about places where people have died, but um, there's probably some very expensive, you know, VIP suites that have deathbeds in them. You know, like thousand dollar a night places yeah. that people don't know oh, are. Yeah. And even if not like full human bodies, like millions of gametes die in each bed every. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they're still alive when you check in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, you get the worst news out of like really grotesque stories. Like if you remember when uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn was accused of sexual assault you know it took place at like a thousand dollar a night hotel and when they went to check the room for his dna they found multiple people you know that's a thousand dollars a night imagine what it's like <laughs> in a motel six it's like night the rug is mostly semen yeah yeah but, uh, but then again I, there's I don't know not even like... a rug i don't know if you knew that there's no rug. <laughs> <laughs> there was never a rug but also, I think the super rich are probably less considerate with where they shoot. I've, I've, not, I've not studied this, right. and I don't know if anyone has. Right. And I know we have plenty of scientists listeners, right. so the way maybe the this is a possible. Are the best teppers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe people who are closer to the financial group of the people who'd be cleaning the rooms would be more considerate about where they aim. No, absolutely. Yeah. I've always said poor guy loads are the are the most uh, <laughs> aimed loads. I've always I've always said that. Um, <laughs> It's interesting to me that, uh, you know, it's like when you're driving and uh, you'll see like a cross, you know, like where and it's mm -hmm. where someone died uh, in a death car, you know, yep. and when someone has a death car and they die and they, so they put the cross at where they died. They put it at that place. Now, is that only a road thing? I'm not I'm not like working a bit. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Why aren't all the people putting crosses anywhere someone else to care about? Well, the whole yeah. well, the whole point of a of a graveyard is to not do that. You know, you got a separate place, a dedicated place for it, a dedicated death place. It would certainly it would certainly make uh, the hotel rooms you're talking about more intimidating. That's, well, that's what I mean. You, there'd be six crosses at the foot of your bed <laughs> when you, every time you check in, it'd be a nightmare. Or try yeah. try convincing someone it's a good hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, it has the sliding doors, and it's like when the Tupperware falls, you know, it's just cro crosses falling over. <laughs> Charles, oh, man. Uh, yes. before we get into the stories of this week, we like to ask our guests what, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from classes you did, or liked, or hated as a kid, or as, or, uh, as a college student uh, to just I, blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends yeah i i mean i didn't have a lot of background in science education wise like i i didn't take it really in college because i transferred in like the middle of college to a program that was about like labor relations and industrial policy and stuff and so i had a million requirements to catch up on and i hadn't taken science really earlier so i hadn't really taken a whole lot of science except sort of dilettante reading and then i ended up as a lawyer working on a bunch of like pharmaceutical patent cases and i didn't know that and cool. engineering mm -hmm. patent cases and so you know i got to I had sort of had to read some superficial like stuff just to understand what I was talking about. Like we represent, I represented a generic, a company that was trying to bring like a generic version of uh, Nexium to the market. And I represented a company that had a patent for like making, you know, like the foam trays that are underneath like chicken in the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, just like those simple trays, they had a method for stamping them out, you know, that they had bought. And so there was a dispute because they basically bought the patent from the inventor and then the inventor just sort of 
tweaked it a little and then sold it to a different company. <laughs> um, and so the oh. question was whether, and so the question was whether the new one infringed the old one or whether it was distinct enough. Uh, Did you modify it enough for it to be, yeah, right, is it like Robin, Robin Thicke, Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye or whatever? Yeah, is it to, exactly. Is, exactly. But chicken. But chicken. <laughs> but chicken trays. So I just got to sort of walk around the plant floor of this like plastics company, seeing like all of the very loud <laughs> machines that they use to sort of take the recycled materials and the stamping machines. And, you know, so that kind of stuff was sort of fun. Yeah, it's, it sort of reminds me of. Um, did you guys all watch Lula Lula Rich yet? I have not seen. No, I've, I haven't seen it yet. I don't even know what it what it is. Is uh, what is Lula Rich? It's Amway for leggings. Oh, um, got it. Got yeah, it. that's basically it. It's a multi level marketing thing based on leggings and. Um, Part and the, of the documentaries that, about it being a massive scam, right? It was one well, of those. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a multi-level. It's it's like your Amway's, Herbalife's, whatever, where most of the money doesn't come right. from sales of the leggings, but from recruiting someone else to sell underneath you. And then, yeah, you it's know. a giant. It's pyramid leggings. Right. Pyramid leggings. I've never quite, yeah. I, I've never quite grasped the difference. If there really is a difference between pyramid and multi-level marketing, or whether they, because there's like multi-level marketing. Amway is legal, even yeah. if it's a little dodgy. As as and a cu- lawyer, and Cutco and all of the yeah, like what? Uh, yeah, here's the, here's the difference. The difference is that a lawyer is responsible for dotting the i's and crossing the t's (laughs) on a multi-level marketing scheme to make sure that all the contracts sort of conform enough to the law Uh that it doesn't become a pyramid scheme like the problem with a pyramid scheme uh, i mean it's not a different problem for a multi-level marketing (laughs) company but with a pyramid scheme ultimately it's that the person in charge is basically juggling all the balls and hoping to exit before they all come crashing down and the multi-level marketing scheme usually is more buttoned up so that everyone like everyone gets screwed in the same proportion but right. the people on top are better covered so so multi-level marketing like the people on the bottom are still making some money they're not just like it's not just sort of taking from a to pay to b and then taking from b to pay to c and then taking from c to pay to d and like but fundamentally there is no like my right about that like pyramid fundamentally there just isn't enough money that they're showing more money people. on paper than there actually is and and they, the only way they can keep paying the people is by getting more and more people in to just cut, to fill the next level up. Kind right. Yeah. In the movie, they, they do have a legal expert who talks about some of this stuff, and it might vary state to state, but part of the legality, and basically the movie, spoiler, the company is still in business. The movie is just using them as an example of why this is a horrible business practice that we need to look at. But some of the laws involve just a percentage, like the, the revenue, a certain percent has to come from actual sales of a thing versus just recruiting new salespeople. Maybe it's like a 70-30. So if you adhere to that, then they could say, no, 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 it's just a bunch of like distributed retailers of this thing. Yep. But there was a time when this company, like almost all of its revenue was the bonuses inherent in hiring, in signing someone else up. And that person who signs up has to, to get started, pay five or $10,000 to buy this inventory. That so again, like the, only re- the only way they can then not end up out of money is by recruiting someone to go underneath them, basically. So that's how. Yeah, once you get to a certain number, because they're at a certain point, we're like, I don't, I think in the tens of thousands of representatives and they're just, the, the market for leggings is finite. It might be big, but it's finite. So you can't keep having this thing grow before mm. you're just cannibalizing each other's leggings markets unless you can start some like legging destroying craze yeah <laughs> well that was part of the part of the documentary was also about how the leggings the quality fell off as they had to meet these huger inventory i've, demands, I've so. noticed that over the years i've said the <laughs> legging quality has really You're fallen off always going on about that aren't you i like I, well it's it's i feel like i was ahead of my time i'd noticed about yeah. five years ago what's going on with leggings quality i i also i've either, i hadn't realized uh, until hey, until fairly recently i certainly hadn't realized until i got a bit older that you can you can shop for lawyers and a lawyer isn't just like someone who mathematically proves whether something is legal or not. You just like you can you can like shop around if you and find like the lawyer who will sign off on something if the previous one isn't. Yeah. I like I know this from a couple of TV shows I've worked on where everything has to you know, on TV things have to go through standards and practices and they have to be signed off on and you know, you have to make sure you're not breach particularly I've worked on like late night TV where you're dealing with like showing clips of various shows and things like that and you have to sign off on like you're not breaching their copyright because you're fair using their mm-hmm. their footage and 
and also you're not breaching like standards and rules and what you can put on TV. And and we got a lawyer for one of these shows, and I remember the showrunner going like, "Yeah, he's a good one. He lets you get away with more." <laughs> it's just that's like, how law works. Yeah, yeah that's well, how I law. Mean, it does a little because when you think about it, most of what most of the role the lawyer is playing there is in dis like there like there aren't clear lines on a lot of these things, right? And so the lawyer is essentially operating in a kind of risk management role where they're like, how close to the line do we allow a comedian to get, <laughs> right? Because we know they're unpredictable and some of them are going to be really risk averse, which right. probably makes the comedy worse. And some of them are like, fuck it. You know, we might as well like, no, no, no. We think we're on solid ground here and we have to decide whether being sued by a person who's being ungenerous is worth it. And so people who have a little more risk tolerance will allow you to do the show you want to do. Right. Right. Because he's not like saying, sure, you can stab a guy on camera. He's saying, you know, this if you do this, we do think it fits into the parody exception. So go for it. Yeah. Right? You want, if you're doing an entertainment show, you want the guy who's not constantly tying your hands, but you want someone who's responsible enough to really, you know, pull back on the reins if you're going crazy. But that's it. You know, your, your counsel is that. He's providing advice, not guarantees. And so some people protect their own... Uh, they're a little too overprotective. Like, you don't want someone overbearing. You want someone to tell you, like, where the actual risks are. Like what's, what's, the the risk, what's the risk to the lawyer? Nothing, really. Really? Mm. Yeah. I mean, you provide the advice in good faith, right? And then if you're wrong, you know, it ends up in litigation and maybe you get fired. But you're not going to get in more trouble than that, right? You're re it's just reputational risk for the lawyer, right? right. You know, and which is so not nothing, but it's not nothing. Which is why a lot of them are very risk averse, because if if like if nothing's ever challenged, then his reputation is never on the line, because what doesn't happen ends up being unseen. Whereas the one who's more generous is taking bigger risks professionally for him or herself, too, because if the advice turns out to be bad, then they pay for it the same way the show does, you know, and you want someone who kind of ride or die with you a little, yeah. you know, someone who will let Norm MacDonald call the Clintons murderers on the view. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, my guess is he did not get advice. No. I guess he really, the way that Barbara Walters was trying to shut him up so quickly, uh, I think that was probably not approved by anybody. No. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of laws, I've got, some, I've got a story about a law that, uh, that is not really up for debate. Uh, it's the law of gravity, guys. What's I don't know. What's I don't know. I, 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 want, I think we can challenge it. Yeah, we have this, a comedian and lawyer on on the line right yeah. now, and let's see we let let's see what we can do. Yeah, this well, is hot off the presses. This is let's a push back. Yes. Well, well, then you tell me how I was floating at my wedding. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a story sent in uh, on Twitter just today from um, Twitter handle Devorpa, uh, an article about a desktop gravitational wave detector that. Um, that may have just found something interesting. A mysterious, never-before-seen signal that was picked up by this tabletop gravitational wave detector. This is on sciencealert.com. Again, this is dated today, so we'll see if this ends so up... So this is a fresh alert. Yeah. So, it's a you know, fresh I, alert. If I had yeah. a, a, a physicist lawyer on, uh, I would hope he would allow us to cover this story knowing that it's possible it gets retracted in the future. But, um... By the way, <laughs> this article written by the excellently named Michelle Starr... What oh, are the man. odds? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, a tabletop gravitational wave detector based around a piece of ringing quartz has recorded two mysterious signals in its first 153 days of operation. It's unclear exactly what these signals are. They could be from a, a number of phenomena, but one of those phenomena is exactly what the detector is designed to pick up, high-frequency gravitational waves which have never been recorded before. So it's way too soon to come to any conclusions, but the next iteration of the detector will be able to narrow down what caused the quartz to resonate. 
Uh, physicist Michael Tobar of University of Western Australia said, it's exciting that this event has shown that the new detector is sensitive and giving us results, but now we have to determine exactly what those results mean. With this, <laughs> with this work, yeah. Well, that's Okay, science. so they just built a thing that, that probably was something. just, yeah, yeah, someone was using the bathroom next door and... <laughs> So we, yeah. we've talked about other larger scale, in fact, the huge LIGO detector that yeah. detected gravity waves six years ago. Um, and that's that since then, LIGO and Virgo detectors, I forgot what the Virgo ones are, but um, those have gone on to reveal that the universe is ringing with previously hidden gravitational waves rippling out from collisions between black holes and neutron stars. Uh, those detectors are huge. Their arms are about four kilometers long. Lasers run along the length of those arms, and they're minutely disrupted by, gra by gravitational waves producing interference patterns in the light that recombines. And you can analyze that to see the nature of the event that caused the waves. Um, and so far, that technology has been optimized for low-frequency gravitational waves. The high-frequency ones are harder to detect, but definitely worth pursuing. Uh, the wavelength of gravitational waves is proportional to the size of the universe. Those occurring later are larger, so shorter high-frequency waves could reveal information about the Big Bang and the universe at the beginning of time. Um, All from a desktop. Yeah. So high-frequency yeah. waves, um, wait, so their sources in the more recent past could include hypothetical objects such as boson stars, boson stars, and primordial black holes. These waves could even be produced by clouds of dark matter. So astronomers would, would be deeply interested in detecting these signals. Tobar and his colleague, physicist Maxim Goryachev of the University of Western Australia, designed a tabletop detector for high-frequency waves in 2014. And now, along with the international team, they've observed, they've conducted observing runs. And the detector itself is a disk of quartz crystal called a bulk acoustic wave resonator uh, with one side slightly convex. Theoretically, high-frequency gravitational waves should generate standing sound waves in the disk, which are trapped as phonons. I don't think it's a typo. I don't know what a phonon is. Uh, by the convex side, is is a phonon like a a photon but for sound, like a a, a little sound wave? Let's see. Mm. According to a cursory googling, it's the elementary excitation in the quantum mechanical treatment of vibrations in a crystal lattice. Obviously. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so then a, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Matt a yes there. <laughs> I so mean, I don't vibration. think it's sound in terms of... I mean, sound is just air Here we go. Waves. Phonons can be thought of as quantized sound waves, similar to photons as quantized light waves. Okay. Boom. Wow. Boom. Matt, there he goes. Yep. Nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, so phonons are trapped on the convex side of this disk. The disk is cryogenically cooled to reduce thermal noise and conducting plates placed at very small distances from the crystal pickup... From the crystal pickup minute piezoelectric signals generated by the acoustic modes vibrating therein. Okay, hang on. All right, getting this. So so piezoelectricity, if I remember rightly, that's that's how electricity is generated when you squeeze certain squeeze or or squash certain crystals. Like there are some um some Guitar. lighters. Oh yeah, yes, guitars as well, right? That, Guita the, guitar the, pickups. If you don't use just the um, coiled wires, the ones you put on an acoustic are often piezoelectric. So the vibration of the wood itself generates an electric signal. So that's that's it working the other way around, where the squashing. Uh, uh, oh no, it's the same way around. So there's that, and then um, certain types of um, uh, fire lighters, uh, like uh, oven lighters, the ones mm -hmm. that just have like a clicky thing. Sometimes the like the the spark is generated by piezoelectric power. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So the signal in this disk is super tiny, so a superconducting quantum interference device, or SQUID, is employed to act as an extremely sensitive signal amplifier. Uh, the whole detector is placed in a radiation-shielded vacuum chamber to prevent as much interference as possible. With this setup, the team conducted two observing runs and made a detection during each run. The first was uh, May of 2019, and the second was November 2019. Um, and there are a number of plausible possibilities here. The relaxation of mechanical stress inside the quartz disk is one. Uh, an internal radioactive event caused by external ionizing radiation is another. Although the researchers know... Those are know, the first two things I'd have seen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. no, they don't know of specific external events that could have caused that. Uh, likewise, although a meteor shower can produce acoustic waves, the shielding should have protected the device from these. Uh, the culprit could even have been cosmic rays. The other options are more exciting, which are disturbances caused by topological defects in dark matter or massive dark matter particles. Um, 
they could, could theoretically have caused the signals. Or finally, there's the possibility of high frequency gravitational waves. This would require a lot more investigation since the shape of the signal doesn't display the characteristic chirp of a cosmic merger. Uh, so for the next iteration of the detector, the researchers will be adding a second crystal with its own squid and readout along with a muon detector to rule out cosmic rays. Uh, that should help narrow down what caused the signals the team detected. So they, uh, they put a big old contact mic in a little uh, acoustic chamber there. Yeah. Talking about uh, picking up gravity waves over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the ticket. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it does seem weird they'd already go public with this, given all the all the things that LIGO has to do to rule out, you know, by having multiple detectors around the globe so they can make sure they both pick up the thing at once and it wasn't some local phenomenon. Well, so here's, here's what's weird to me, is they built a new thing and claim that they're detecting a new thing with the new thing. Right, right. Well, so, that, was, that was my response, too, is that there's something on the desk the size of something you'd get at the sharper image. Yeah. They click it on, and they're like, holy shit, revolutionary. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, maybe Fonzie needs to slap the side of the yeah, thing. Hey. And, it'll, and you'll be like, oh, no, these are all normal waves. Well, it's wor- <laughs> I mean, bad. it's worked both of the times. But it's like they okay, they built a new device and then they're picking up something or or you know, something is happening that's also new. I I, I don't know what they're comparing this to. Yeah, like, like I said, it, it does seem a little premature, but it's also kind of exciting and a cool device. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean I it's fun to be incredibly uncharitable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but at the same but at the same time my guess is that they kind of knew what they were building. It's not like Tinker Toys and like Hopefully. they had like and they had an idea of what they were trying to achieve. And, yeah, yeah, I think this was premeditated. They're not just like making some executive <laughs> desk toy. <laughs> it's just <laughs> Whoa, there's a little little quartzy thing going on here. Um, the five balls are clacking back and forth, and they're like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Grav- it's got to be gravity waves, guys. This has got to be. Hmm. I think I've just discovered Newton's laws. Why? How, how could the name alone should name- clue you in that you haven't done that? <laughs> so wow. yes, hopefully this goes somewhere. Maybe we could run this by our friends at LIGO and see if they're... Uh, in supportive of this or if there's some rivalry or yeah. if the high frequency, those, low frequency Look at those idiots teams. spending 35 years building something that's the size of a small city. When- well, the, the problem the problem with that is because this would all work better if we could have it somewhere in space, but there, there's no way to get concrete up there. Oh, oh, Jesse, how wrong what? you are. What are you talking about? <laughs> our, our, our buddy Michael Smelt, who helped get us to Australia for our tour a few years ago, has sent in a story about... A particularly curious way to produce concrete in space. Martian what? colonists Martian colonists could use their own blood to produce concrete, suggests what? new research. According to this article in Gizmodo by George Davrosky. This provocative new research, George Wow, writes, that sounds that sounds great. It sounds like you would need a lot of astronauts. Yeah, or just house. one who's a real bleeder. <laughs> <laughs> Recruiting hemophiliacs for NASA yeah. right now. Right. Just provocative new research is just the blood of astronauts. I don't, I don't know whether it's the blood. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to assume this is the blood of any human. It doesn't have to right, be specifically right. the, the blood the of a they, true astronaut. I require yeah. the blood of a virgin yeah. astronaut. It's like a witch's spell. It's how you make concrete. <laughs> like everyone, when they're asking who's who's an astronaut, everyone touches their nose. <laughs> I'm a technician, actually. My job title does not involve... Hey, he's got some space on him. He's an astronaut, I tell you. Get him! Yeah. It is, it is, it is weird, because I'm reading the original, you know, for peer review, I'm reading the source article, and it says, new research uh, suggesting that the lifeblood of spacemen, and that's, <laughs> that's interesting. I, this is the actual Scarlet A. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the life stuff of a spaceman. <laughs> All right, so Space, so uh, spaceman so is that that is a, a such a good. It really makes me laugh as a word. Like I I understand why why astronaut has taken precedent for for numerous reasons, not get, not just the gender parity reason, but. God, Spaceman is funny. It's Spaceman's great. great. And and Cosmonaut is way cooler than Astronaut. Yeah. Cosmonaut is, yeah. Yeah. Spaceman is my is like a great word in the same way that my favorite word is manhole. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like that's what you named it? Yeah, we just call it a manhole. Yeah. That's where the man goes. Also, also, I, also scuba diver, uh-uh, frogman. Oh, oh, yeah. Right, frogman oh. is great. Frogman is good. Give me a frogman any day. A frogman of any gender. Frog, right. frog people. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, exactly. You can be a you can be a female or non-binary frogman. You can use their blood to make lumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you need to make some underwater wood. Yeah. The blood of a frogman. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's seafaring. It's made with the blood of a frog. <laughs> it's unsinkable. <laughs> oh man! So the you, Titanic. You the must Titanic's... spill the blood of a sailor to save the blood of a sailor. The the, the Titanic sank because a frogman lied. Yeah. This... <laughs> he wasn't a true frogman. Not a true frogman. He wasn't so... fully qualified. He was a mere tadpole of a boy. Um, so so. <laughs> You're stuck around on Mars. You're feeling pretty low about your life because you're up there all alone, and you decide yeah. to end it. And then, <laughs> yeah. So, so when mixed with Martian soil, this, this this blood can produce a durable concrete-like substance. Incredibly, other human bodily fluids were shown to make this biocomposite even stronger. Which fluids article? Mm, yeah. Which that's, fluids? That's, that's right. Think right. They won't will. tell you because they just want blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Can I drink some water? Nope. <laughs> oh, hold no. on. This I'm I'm reading the article now, and it, I thought it was Gizmodo, but it's um, we are definitely not vampires.com. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. This totally not vampires.com article is very weird. Legally, they have to they have to be invited in the house, and they have to tell you on the website if they are. Yeah, right. it's the same. Thing. It's vampires and cops, man. They got to tell you. They got to tell you. They. Also, cops cops aren't allowed to come into your home unless you invite them. There are <laughs> cops, are cops vampires or vice versa? A cow. All cops are vampires. <laughs> All cops are vampires. The they, first... wear, they wear body cams because they can't see each other's reflections. <laughs> it's 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 how they know they exist. It's very tricky. Um, the, the first colonists to arrive on Mars will need to build shelters and spaces for work, but the Red Planet isn't exactly bustling with hardware stores and material suppliers. Okay, it's, not bustle, it's, it's not bustling, but they're there. Th I mean, yeah, it's, it's a know. few. It's, it's a, a living. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, the colonists could use some of the stuff that's right there on Mars, such as regolith? Regolith? How do you pronounce that word? That's their word for soil. Rocks mm. and water, the latter of which is sparse and hard to reach. Trouble is, these on-site resources don't magically combine to produce viable construction materials. Of course, we could always ship a bunch of bricks to Mars, but that presents a ridiculously expensive proposition. Mm. Estimates suggest that it would cost upwards of $2 million to transport a single brick to the Red Planet, which, yeah, that's not going to happen. All right, oh, Gizmodo. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, All right, Gizmodo. Yeah, right. I get it. This isn't, this isn't your dad's newspaper. Right. You know, you know what is, you know is going to happen, though? bleeding out all of our astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> so so new research published in Materials Today Bio could potentially come to the rescue. The ne the needed resources to produce a concrete like substance could come directly from the colonists themselves in the form of blood, sweat, tears and urine. According to the study co-authored by chemist Nigel Scrotton from the University of Manchester, who says scientists have been trying to develop viable technologies to produce concrete-like materials on the surface of Mars, but we never stopped to think the answer might be inside us all along. Oh, sorry, that, that actually comes from Alice Roberts, who is also from the University of Manchester in the statement. What a weird Disney ending. Yeah. <laughs> the, real, the real concrete was inside <laughs> us all along. It was your blood and piss. <laughs> that's, the that's semen of a spaceman! <laughs> I'm also wow. just imagining that first band meeting of blood, sweat, and tears when the guy was like, oh, "Okay, we're gonna call ourselves blood, sweat, tears, and urine." Yeah. Like, urine, you're out, of, you're out of here. You're out of here. He's out of the band. It turns out that the real treasure was the friends we drained along. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining some poor astronaut hooked up like Mad Max. You know, just sort of stuck right. out, stuck out there. Just and he said he stuck to his cement mixer. Yeah. <laughs> It, have you so, have you been pissing in the cement? No. Why are you stuck? Why is your penis stuck to the cement right now? Why is it stuck to the Martian soil? What have you been doing? 
Uh, so in tests, these researchers demonstrated that the human serum albumin, HSA, a common protein found in blood plasma, can also act as a binder when combined with simulated Martian and lunar regolith. Astrocrete, as they're calling it, proved to be as tough as concrete and in some cases even tougher. The idea didn't come from thin air, as animal bloods and other animal parts have historically been used to produce building materials, such as binders and glue. The ancient Romans, for example, used animal blood when making concrete. The researchers suspect the process of denaturation, uh, uh, de denaturation or the curdling of blood as being responsible for astrocrete's bonding power. In tests, the blood-based this is what this is a tricky one. The blood-based binder. There we go. Produced a concrete-like substance with compressive strengths reaching 25 megapascals, which is comparable to ordinary concrete. I really struggle with that sentence, people. Thank you for thank you for not drawing attention to it like I did. Subsequent tests with the addition of urea, a biological waste product found in urine, sweat, and tears, further increased the compressive strength by 300 percent. The best combination of HSA and urea resulted in a compressive strength of 40 megapascals, which is considerably stronger than normal concrete. Importantly, the team performed these tests on simulated Mar Martian regolith. The real thing might not respond in exactly this way. The yes, science... I googled that. It's just like dust, I guess. On Earth, moon, the moon or Mars, just things that aren't rocks that are on the ground. Dirt, dust, whatever. Right. I feel so like this... this article was just written by like one of the rovers that's up there. Yeah, just who's running out of blood. I need more blood. Send blood. Yeah. <laughs> The, the scientists pr proposed that astrocrete could be used as an aggregate material to fill sandbags or to make heat-fused bricks. To get the required amounts of HSA, the crew would have to donate their blood twice a week. According to the paper, a two-year mission involving six colonists could allow for the production of 1,100 pounds, which is about half, uh, 500 kilograms, that's half a metric ton, of the high-strength version of astrocrete. Should each crew member chip in with the blood and urine, the colony would have enough material to double the available housing over the two-year span, settling the state, setting the stage for future newcomers. That's a and lot for six colonists. I was going to say, I, I guess the problem is scale, but I guess they've done the math on that. That's... Yeah. This uh, is very impressive. It only smells vaguely of piss and blood. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's, this house is awesome. How, do, how much does it cost? It's like apparently two million for a brick. How much is it for Glade? <laughs> as a relevant aside, the team considered other on-site human resources, such as nails, hair, dead skin cells, mucus, and poop. On the matter of poop, the team cited previous research showing that it's not possible to make knives from frozen poop, a study that earned those scientists a Nobel Prize. An Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> Wait, what's an Ig Nobel? An immunoglobulin? Yeah, oh, it's the... the it's we we had an ignoble winner on the show. In fact, yeah. on the on that same aforementioned Australia tour. Okay, what is what is the ignoble? I'm I'm. It's like an ignoramus. It, it's like it, it's science. like the sort of quirky, weird mm. science prizes where they are for things that seem to. They they have to still have scientific merit, but they they are the sort of weird, quirky, odd science that seems to lack merit but does. Like like we had the person who found out how to unscramble eggs. It's the per it's the kind of stuff that Rand Paul talks about when he tries to protect himself from tax increases. <laughs> He's like, "This is what our science is funding," and then right. scientists are like, "No, no, that's really important." And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to laugh at it anyway so you don't raise my taxes. That's, that's actually a very good description. That's, um, <laughs> so th this stuff can also be 3D printed, by the way, these, these bricks, these blood bricks. So it's not... Wait, I'm still on this poop thing. It's not possible to make knives from frozen poop? I mean, it well, depends on your definition of a knife, I guess, right? I mean, could you kill somebody with frozen poop? Probably. Does that make it a knife? I don't know. Could you carve the, your steak with it? I mean, I wonder if that's what the proof is. It, like, literally, that it doesn't hold an edge, right? Like, there's no, oh. there's no, like, there's no temperature that you can get it where its actual use wouldn't compromise its integrity. That's so that it, like, you know, like, true. maybe you can make it from water, right? But but you can't from poop or something. I don't know. Okay, well, this, I just, I don't like I guess, any, I don't I like guess anything I'm that, clicking now. <laughs> no, I just, I, I don't like finding out any news that makes me have to rewrite my screenplay. Um, hmm. Well, you know what? If you can't make, if you can't make tools out of poop, you know where you can go to find out how to uh, 
make tools by soldering. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about our sponsor, Wondrium. What? I just Googled construction. It turns out there are, there's a lot of programming on various aspects of construction. There's, there's, a, there's a program series on Wondrium called Soldering Success in Every Scenario. If you want to get better at soldering, you can go to wondrium.com slash probably get yourself a free month of access to their entire library and learn about construction, learn about soldering, learn about, let's see what else, how the pyramids I, I, were built. I'm going to say, by the way, when, you, when it says like for every, every function, was it every function, success? In it, any uh, scenario. Every, any scenario. Every scenario. Every scenario. I'm sure yes. that's like specific scenarios where soldering is appropriate. Like not sort of like my wife's left me. <laughs> well, sometimes sure. people do How to, things differently. Maybe, yeah. you can, maybe you can solder your way out of this problem. But if the, Yeah, solder your way through it. Um, you know, Andy, this uh, all sounds great and all, but I'm a great courses plus man. I'm I'm loyal to them, so I'm not going to be doing this wondrium oh, tomfoolery. No? I, what? Jesse, What's that? If you're familiar with great courses plus, then you already know wondrium. It's the same great service, now bigger and better. You're going to love it. They've got programming to learn about. Basically, I can't say anything because I've got a lawyer on the podcast, and like, I'm sure you can't learn <laughs> everything from wondrium. But uh, you can also learn about. Let's see. There's a, there's one here on. Um, Oh, just just refreshing here. Uh, you know, second. I'm 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 not going to sign up for anything where I can't learn um, fitting solo from measurements to muslin. Andy, is that one I, you found? Yeah. Excellent. There's there's a cabinetry <laughs> and fine furniture. If you want to learn to do cabinetry in your in your time at home, uh, basically this is a great way for you to use that that time you use on other streaming platforms to actually improve your life and learn some new skills and be entertained along the way. Uh, fascinating documentaries, helpful how-tos, answers to pretty much every question you've ever had. And you can get a free trial. You can get a free trial for one month if you go to wondrium.com slash probably. That is our code. They will give our listeners a free one-month trial. That is w-o-n-d-r-i-u-m dot com slash probably. Go expand your brains, everybody. All right. Can I can I actually go back to the poop thing? Yes, I actually of course. Did click through. Yes. So I clicked through for the research on it, and so what they were doing was trying to prove or disprove an ethnographic account of an Inuit man manufacturing his knife from his own frozen feces to butcher and disarticulate a dog. Oh, uh, so this ethnographic account, which my guess is a, is just either something that the Inuits lied about to a, a white person and laughed behind his back, or the white person made up completely in an Anuk of the North sort. Of okay, way, yeah, um, is like, but this story, I guess, was in a lot of the academic literature about the Inuit. And so they were testing that claim. And uh, as I uh, postulated, what they found was that it uh, wasn't functional, right? Like they could, no matter that, that they could not make a poop knife uh, in optimal controlled conditions, uh, they could not make one that was functional as a knife. So perhaps instead of changing the definition of knife, because, I mean, you know, I guess you could argue here what your definition of knife is, which looks like what they're doing. I, I think the definition of poop needs some changing. If you okay. had severe, severe diarrhea, I think you could make a knife. You think you know? going more liquid is the solution to this, not more solid? Uh, no, absolutely more liquid. I think more solid, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think more liquid, you could make some sort of ice blade, a brown ice blade. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, is an is an ice knife considered a knife by this definition of knife? Right. Could you disarticulate I, an animal with with just a sharpened icicle? I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I can't. I can't believe we just had. I just can't. I believe we just have like discovered the the problem of heaps in deciding where poop is when it goes from like poop, like a perfect like poop to water. And diarrhea is somewhere in the middle. Well, everyone, ha yeah, everyone has a different line of when of when they will say I had the shits last night. Like yeah. everyone has a different, you know. Yeah, is it like uh, not to get? I guess we are scatological now, so whatever. But when you get yeah. when I was in Nicaragua, like the guy who ran the place I was staying, he's like, you know, you're gonna get some. He said it with an Australian accent. I'm not gonna do, but he said you're gonna get uh, some fluffy eggs. Was his description of the consistency <laughs> you're gonna experience? I love it. Okay. And did did those eggs give you the shits? 
Ah, that's a great bed and breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We've, we've got we've had a bunch of really good stories. I don't think we're gonna have time to cover all of them in this episode, so we'll have to t- fold some over to next week. But um, loads of people have emailed in to probably science at gmail.com with some stories, including good plug uh, there, Matt. Yeah, thank you. I thought that was slick. Sean Robertson sent slick. in this. Well, we're talking about getting things in in strange situations and repurposing things. Captured water carbon dioxide from car exhaust could help grow food. These Texas A&M University researchers have a novel idea to capture waste from passenger vehicle exhaust for use in urban greenhouses for food production. What if both the water and carbon dioxide produced by a vehicle's exhaust system could be captured and used for growing food, says this article in Texas A&M Today, which probably no relation to the university repurposing these two wasted <laughs> products would be a game changer for reducing the carbon footprint of roadway traffic and helping the agricultural industry feed a growing human population. Three faculty members at Texas A&M University, Maria Barrafet, Elena Castel-Perez, and Rosanna Moriera, have written a white paper reporting... I think I just ruined both, all three of those names, but I got close. Have written a white paper re- reporting their initial analysis and published it in hopes of obtaining the funding needing for doing a formal multidisciplinary research on the project this uh i started this is a quote i started reading the related literature and the simulations of what was possible says barrafet this is who's a professor by the way and baker hughes endowed chair of the harold vance department of petroleum engineering that's a lot of words this is entirely realistic several proposals have already been written for large trucks and marine vehicle applications but nothing has been implemented yet and we're the first to think of a passenger car engine the impact could be enormous in 2019, the number of vehicles estimated to be in use around the world is 1.4 billion. An average passenger car in operation can emit about 5 US tons, which is approximately 4.6 metric tons of CO2 per year, meaning a significant amount of greenhouse gases going into the environment. One car's fuel consumption also creates a large amount of water per year, about 5,500 gallons. And that's 21,000 liters. Matt, what's this I hear about uh, old the old... Uh England going going back to uh, Imperial. Oh, it's what what's basically happening there is not to sidetrack, but that just made me like yeah. What's what, going on? What's what's basically happening is it's the the Boris Johnson government essentially just trolling. It's the it's the same as the it's the same as the Trump play where if you're sort of out of ideas and you don't really have and you want to cover up bad news about things you're doing or things you're not doing you put out a ridiculous story like that and it make it dominates the news and it plays into this sort of mm. faux the this bull, bullshit weird nostalgia oh the, the world we need like we peaked and we've been going backwards and we need a return to the good old days so so now green grocers are going to be allowed to sell plums pounds of plums not grams anymore, as they're so forced to by like... the filthy European Union. It's it's a nonsense, non-story, and it'll make very no, little difference to anyone's him. life. But it's just like this. It's just fucking. It's it's baiting. It's right. it's clickbait done by a government, basically. But it's like, but it's like he's politically leaning into Brexit, I guess. Oh, it's the, it's the same. Yeah, it's all of that stuff as well. It's all like this sort of idea that the second world war was great and it was just people with union jacks being proud of who they were and getting together and singing songs in an air raid shelter and bravo britain before europe went and ruined it all it's it's all that same fuck it's that same bullshit and it's just and it and it and boris johnson by the way was one of the main people we back in like when he was still just a columnist for the telegraph he was at one point the Daily Telegraph's European correspondent, the EU correspondent, and he was the main source for the bullshit stories that I remember getting as a as a kid and as a teenager about how the European Union is is banning our bananas because they're too curvy and all this sort of like <laughs> <laughs> they're too curvy. I've always said that about, about but but British it's bananas. all these stories about like it's oh it's it's all that sort of like it's political correctness gone mad and you can't it, yeah. it's just all an extension of that same thing of like you can't do anything these days and these wackadoo liberals are changing the world and this is we're taking a stand we're gonna take a stand for good british values and that means that 
we're going to allow you to buy a pound of rice. And yeah, I I love uh, anytime like someone is just full blown at war with nothing. Yeah, like they're at war with a thing that doesn't exist. You know, but, it, but it's also uh, and appropriately to this story. I thought what, I thought you were about to ask me about is the fact that Britain is on the verge of running out of carbon dioxide. I had no idea. Which well, is okay. One of the many. Uh, this is one of the many uh, side effects of Brexit now, where our supply. I didn't know that you could run out of the thing that every animal on Earth right. breathes. I didn't out, either. Like exhales. Plant but, a tree, Britain. Well, that's the, no trees are trees are the problem though, because they're sucking oh, right. oh, they're sucking right. their CO two in. Yeah, but <laughs> it's a big problem. We need to get rid of those trees. Yeah, but, sorry, my bad. But yeah, I hadn't realized that you can't. The CO two is hard to actually get hold of, and you need it for all sorts of things. So the, the the headline story is that carbonated drinks are going to be at a shortage. But the the story behind the story is that CO two is actually used, needed for things like refrigerants and certain hospital equipment and all sorts of important things. Hmm. Hmm. So, so these these uh so these three. Three scientists here. Yeah. Um. What What are they? They. I guess. So their pitch is a device that could. Uh. So they they outlined in their white paper. They outlined how this integrated device could work. Uh, yeah. In in your vehicle, and that takes heat from the engine, and it could power an organic Rankine cycle. That's an ORC an ORC system. Essentially, a small closed unit containing a turbine, heat exchangers, condenser, and feed pump that works like an old-fashioned steam engine, uh, but on a much smaller scale and with far less heat needed to produce electricity. The ORC would power the other components, such as a heat exchange system that could cool, compress, and change the CO2 gas to a liquid for more compact storage. Um, So uh, they say, you know, years ago, we didn't think we could have air conditioner in a car. It's a similar concept to the air conditioning that we now have. In a simple way, it's like that device. It will fit in uh, tight spaces. It's going to take a lot of soldering, which you can learn how to do over at um, (laughs) Wondrium. Wondrium.com slash probably. That's once again, Wondrium.com slash probably. It's like a still suit for your car. Uh, Dune, out October 22nd. Wow, what a great sponsor. (laughs) Yeah. It is amazing that they're they're really uh, that they even heard of this show. That's crazy. Um, it's the only advertising that they're doing. I know, and that's 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 weird too. Um, I feel kind of bad because we're a little bit off schedule with our episode release this week, and we might have really affected their opening weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, the preliminary simulations uh, are encouraging. Um, there's no significant reduction. This is back to the story here, not not about uh, Dune. Um, there's a, there's no significant reduction in a car's engine power or increase in its fuel use. Uh, any potential corrosion in the heat exchange system could be addressed with the use of new coating materials. Theoretically, vehicle owners could turn in full cartridges of CO2 and water at reclamation centers, just as people bring in aluminum and steel cans nowadays. Or drivers could even use the CO2 and water in greenhouse systems of their own or within a community, provided the CO2 was used responsibly and fully absorbed by the plants. Okay. So there at least to some questions, though, that, that people have. How big are these cartridges going to be? Um, you know, that's something people are wanting to know, apparently. <laughs> hey, sounds all right. How big are these cartridges? That's... I don't want to be driving around with just an old cartridge. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's of course that sounds great. It's it's anytime I hear something like this, it's like this great solution. But then on the back end of it, it's all of this stuff that uh, you know these big reclamation centers and all that. You know, it's a giant change instead of just the thing itself. Um, I explained that horribly, but like I mean, that's that's great. That's great to capture the capture the water and CO two. Um, but then what do we do with it? What do we do with these giant cartridges? Well, the, well do they get, they get emptied the out? Into we can give them to Britain. Yeah, yeah. We we need to we need to fill up. <laughs> we, we need our Pepsi. <laughs> we don't want to be drinking our flat sodas. Yeah, this heat exchanger. It does seem uh, once once they described it, I was like, yeah, I guess uh, in any system, heat is kind of the like lossiest ver- version of of energy. So anything you could do to capture the 
the engine's heat seems like it's free energy to do, to do, to do something with. I would have thought there's some catch to it that you'd pay for doing that, but if they say they haven't, that's, that's impressive. I would think that saving the water probably isn't that useful. The CO2 is the big thing, right? Like, who cares about having a water tank to empty out of once in a while? You can just, you know, water your plants with it, but the CO2 part of it, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder about the water on that, because that's also going to be... That's going to be extra weight as well. The, may, yeah. I guess maybe it's negligible extra weight because it's it going to be, be no that much. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, what what am I saying? Because like even weight wise, it's going to be the water has come from the burning of the the fuel. So right. the mass of the water cannot be more than the mass of the f- fuel. But presumably that was going to be out in exhaust prior, so it wouldn't be collected. Right. But the, but the most it, the most it's ever going to weigh is going to be. No, I guess it depends on how f- how frequently you empty it. Cause right, if you, that's what I was about to say. If you if you do like f- every five tanks worth of filling up your tank, then you you empty your water tank. So after that, it could be like okay, it could be a but I don't even there's probably some point. amount of condensation in the system just yeah. from the air. I doubt it's even coming from the gasoline. I bet it's coming from the air and the combustion process. So I think it actually could accumulate more than the than the mass of of what was in your fuel tank. You know what I mean? Like it's coming from like the, what goes in the pistons isn't just fuel; it's a fuel and air. Right. So, oh, that's yeah, that is true. I'm guessing. I don't know, but yeah, this is a pretty cool idea. Like yeah, it's, it's going to be some big containers. Yeah, what <laughs> about those cartridges? Those cartridges are going to be too big, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can fit a cartridge. Let's get you a, up. Yeah, it's a cool idea. No, that's that's uh, that's extremely cool if that works. It's it's overwhelming, right? The stuff that we have to do to get uh, to get our carbon emissions under control. It's like oh, the whole world has to change, like right, like right now. Yeah, it's I'm, overwhelming. I think I think it's funny that the solution will be more driving. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just we're we're burning tons of fossil fuels to make a canister of CO two. <laughs> it's like like it's either you're making the best of a bad situation or you've just invented a suicide machine. Yeah. But I think as much as I'm pessimistic about tons of things, I'm pretty optimistic about things like electric cars taking over pretty quickly. But even then, then we have you know I, I don't even know if we're at a great trade-off in terms of producing their their batteries like all the things that go into making an electric car mm-hmm. certainly aren't carbon neutral and aren't easy yeah. so well, that there was a that more, a couple of people there's been a new story that's come out that a couple of listeners have sent in i and i think i'm gonna save this story like the actual story for later because i think because uh, it weirdly ties into a show that andy and i've both been working on that comes out soon where, where they actually did this in the episode but there uh, a new paint they, an even whiter, even more reflective paint has been produced that cools houses like air conditioning. So solutions like that, these are like really simple solutions that right. actually require... I, I was going to say no new technology, but they are. it is new technology is in that they are constantly... Right. It's material sciences, sciences. They are developing new paints and even developing multicolored paints that are incredibly reflective and bounce off a load of the sun's radiation. But one stat I found out researching for this show was... Um, was that a one percent of houses of of sorry one percent of the Earth's surface being painted white of the land surface? I'd imagine it must be would result in a one degree C cooling of the Earth. What? And then would uh, that be like a really cool Disneylandish place, like just White Whiteland that people would want to yeah. visit? It's- well, that's what you know when you go to things like like plenty of places in the Mediterranean, they that all their buildings are white. Yeah. That makes sense. You're right. But then you go to places that are you know, in the desert in California that where we shouldn't really have civilization and it's all different colors. But just painting those roofs white would actually not just cool your own house down and mean that you are not having to use as much electricity to keep yourself cool, but also it would cool the earth down. Hmm. Get that white paint. But this... Well, I'm again, starting we'll, to think we'll all this ice melting is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's the other thing. Obviously, the more the ice caps melt from global warming, the less light gets reflected by them, which further accelerates the warming, which is bad. But Samantha Hahn and Meg H both sent in that story. Just want to give you some credit there. Yeah, thank you, listeners. Oh, Meg Habing is is the full name there in the body of the email. I hope I am not horribly getting your name wrong there. 
Right. But we should wrap up the main episode. Uh, yeah. Save uh, a little bit for the Patreon patrons, uh, our, our mini Medicis. But <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Charles, where can our listeners find you and, and your podcast and your things? Well, my podcast is sort of uh, dormant, but it, uh, it's called Hostile Witness uh, to the extent that you want to see the back catalog. There was another one called Mike Dicta with like uh, 20 episodes. But those are the two places. And then on Twitter, I'm at Ugarles, U-G-A-R-L-E-S. And I'm there all the time. What's the origin of that handle again? I don't think I ever knew. Uh, oh, I just I was on a uh, I was on a blog a long time ago that had a kind of Rick's Cafe theme, uh, oh. and uh, Ugarte is the Peter Laurie character. Ah, and yes. If you just, and if yes, exactly. Uh, and if you combine Ugarte and Charles, that's sort of how you end up. Yeah. And so oh someone someone who would refer to me on their blog called me Chugarte or Ugarls, and Ugarls is the one that stuck. Nice. Yeah, he's a good Twitter follow, so give him a... Give him a smash that like button, yo. <laughs> smash it. Smash it. Smash it. You can find us at... Pro- probablyscience.com is our web address at probablyscience on twitter individually at jesse case at andy t wood and at matt kershen yeah. probablyscience at gmail.com is email address for any questions comments clarifications stories you would like us to cover We're also at facebook slash probablyscience and while we're plugging stuff as well i just i i streamed memory hole which is the show i co-wrote originally for quibi that has now found a new home on roku i i re-watched it the other day you can watch all the episodes there they are six seven minutes long and there are seven of them and they're on roku you can watch roku for free either on the website or the roku app on things like Firestick. and it's really fun it's a really silly show with will arnett going through some weird clips from the internet past and uh please give that a listen again or a watch rather because it's a fun silly watch and you get to see me playing a a stunt child in the background yeah. of an episode <laughs> A, a, a wheelchair a wheelchair stunt child <laughs> a smoking wow. wheelchair stunt child yeah you, you you can play spot the me in that if you want but also I, I'm proud of that show I, it, it's it's a very it's very, very silly funny. fun show yeah, and sick if of you watch it then we segment. might get to make more I know so that's Memory Hole Memory Hole on Roku I think you can only watch it if you're in the US or if you have the ability to use technology to make things think that you're in the US oh tricky Actually, I forgot I have something to plug also. On Saturday, I'm doing a... Um, Dave Lyons, our, our guest who co-created Yacht Rock, every couple months he does a thing called Bring Your Own Tribute Band Night where um, about six to eight groups form for just one night and they are each tributes to a, a band and I'm going to be uh, fronting a CCR tribute band for one night only called CC Aren't. Very good. On Saturday night at Permanent Records Roadhouse, um, oh, lots who, of other who, fun players. There. Who's who's in your band? Is is Brian going to be part of this one? Brian Cook, uh, Rick Wood, my brother from another mother, and Carter Glasscock on bass, I believe. Great. And then, um, also, I'm start. I just started up a trivia night in the high desert. If anybody happens to find themselves in Twenty Nine Palms, California. Uh, oh, some... you said you were going to. So, like, if if you're out Joshua Tree Way, I know we have people who are out that way or either permanently know. or visiting. Uh, if we have any Marines on the base there who want to come check it out. Yeah, it's the bar is called The Virginian. I did the first one on Sunday. It was super fun. The next one is going to be uh, a week from Sunday. So I think that's October 3rd at 7 o'clock. Virginian in 29 Palms. So Oh, that seems like a good reason to make a little trip out there. I haven't been that's... out for a bit. I think it's fun. Uh <laughs> I think my first one was a little harder than I than I'd hoped it would be, but um, but people still seem to enjoy it. So, all right, so go and go and do that, and and listeners, uh, we're going to do an extra little story for the Patreon patrons. But all of you, all of you who listen, and all of you who help support the show, whether by Patreon or by PayPal or just by spreading the word and saying nice things about us on the internet, we really appreciate it. Uh, Charles Starr, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Bye. 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 Bye.